0: Mitch Gruber received his PhD in history from the University of Rochester in 2016 and is currently the chief program officer at Foodlink. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Careers Unfiltered. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Careers Unfiltered. I'm Bryce, and sadly, my co-host, Danae, is not with us today, but I'm super happy because we have an awesome guest, uh, Mitch Gruber, who is the Chief Program Officer at Blue Link. How are you doing today, Mitch?
1: I'm great. There's, uh, I'm happy to be here. I will, I will tell people from the start, you may be interrupted by a crying baby or a barking dog, but such is the life of quarantine during COVID.
0: Yeah, that's... That's, that's something I think we're all dealing with. The, our, our work situations are a bit more uh, intertwined with our families than they might've been before. Uh, so so let's, let's get in a bit to your background. So you originally, uh, for your undergrad, you went to Binghamton, where you studied history and anthropology. And then after that, you got a PhD in history from the University of Rochester over the course of eight years. So I'd love if you could talk a bit about your educational background and what what drew you to history in the first place?
1: Yeah, I was um, I was never a particularly um, engaged high school student. Um, I went to Brighton High School. I grew up here in Rochester, and it was never again. I was never really that that into um, academics. But you know, I fortunately was. Um, I guess I was lucky enough or smart enough to get into Binghamton. And once I was there, I just had a couple great professors in history. I had no inclination I was going to study history. Um, History is not the most uh, sexy of majors, as you can probably imagine, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but for me, I, I think that I'm a huge believer in the history major because more than anything else, it really prepares you for, for independent work, for critical thought, for analysis, for reading and writing, which, I mean, have been absolutely huge parts of my career. Uh, that's, that's how I've been successful. And after Binghamton, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but it certainly wasn't coming back to Rochester. I traveled the world for quite some time. I spent um, over a year in sub-Saharan Africa. I was in the Middle East for a while. But when push came to shove, I eventually realized I wanted to go back to graduate school. And I'm so, frankly, uh, blessed and grateful that I got into the U of R for uh, my
0: doctorate. That, that sounds really interesting, the part about traveling the world. I, I'd love if you could talk a bit more about that. So a, after your undergrad, you did a lot of traveling.
1: I did. Um, I did my last semester abroad at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. And I graduated a little bit early from my undergrad, and I just decided to stay. Um, I stayed, and I found different things that um, that kind of captured my time from uh, political projects to volunteerism, um, a number of different things that ultimately led me to want to stay. So ultimately, I I decided to uh, do a lot of traveling for for reasons that really stem from curiosity. Um, I wasn't curious about upstate New York. I had lived here all of my life, um, but what I realized eventually was if I was going to make an impact in a community, and this is what I what I hope we get to in this podcast today. If I was going to make an impact, it was going to have to be in a community that I knew, a community that I loved and frankly a community that loved me back. Um, I thought about going to get a doctorate in history in African history uh, from the University of Cape Town, but eventually, I realized if I really wanted to study history, it should be a history that i um I wasn't an outsider, and American history is where I ended up studying and doing it at the u of r was a was a great opportunity for me
0: yeah that that's really interesting that bit about to feel a connection as, as an insider, not as an outsider to what you're studying. Um, I, I'd love if you could talk a bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, studying uh, African history was, uh, I learned I learned a lot, but I, I just always felt like I was kind of a voyeur. Um, and and I, I don't say with any disrespect to people who study the history of cultures that aren't theirs. And in some ways, I feel like a voyeur um, studying American history, too. My family... Uh, I'm Jewish, both sides. My family has not been in the U.S. for that long. I'm, I'm, third, generation. I'm, well, I'm third generation on both sides, actually. Um, but I do feel, I think if I had to describe my identity, I certainly feel like uh, like a Rochesterian, probably more so than a lot of things. I'd say Rochesterian is one, of the, is one of the identifying words that I would use. So being able to study at the University of Rochester with great faculty there, and I ended up writing a dissertation about the history of food retail, Here in urban America, very short of it is that food retail has changed dramatically uh, over the last hundred years. There was a time where we really thought of food distribution as a public utility. That's why we see a public market in Rochester. And I truly hope that every single one of the listeners from the U of R, especially undergrads, go to the public market. It's one of the most amazing uh, resources that we have in Rochester. It's been around since 1904, 1905, really. Um, And Uh, In truth, it is a public market because it was built with public dollars, state and city. And you had the municipality working hard on getting food to people. Over time, what's happened is that the private sector has really consumed all of that work. So now we're stuck in a situation where if you are someone who's wealthy um, or you live in a wealthy community, you have access to in in Rochester. You have Pittsburgh, right, where you have the only Trader Joe's in the region. You have the flagship Wegmans and you have someone clamoring to open up a Whole Foods all within a small, you know, less than a square mile radius. Meanwhile, where I live in the city of Rochester, in a very poor part of the city, you don't have any stores within for miles and miles away. And, and my dissertation traces that, um, what are the factors that led to that? Things like the introduction of automobiles and the refrigerator becoming um, household items that, that the majority of folks had. Um, all of a sudden you see that we're we're living in a time where there's haves and have-nots with food. And I find that to be um, inexcusable. And that's the work I did in my dissertation. That's the work I work on at food Link as well.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I want to co-sign on that endorsement of the Rochester public market, an absolutely incredible resource. If you're in Rochester and you haven't been, you really should, you really should go. And, and I, I love that you kind of did, made my segue for me. So, so, you mentioned your work at FoodLink as as chief program officer. What what does that entail? Um, so, really, the
1: way FoodLink operates, we are the regional food bank in town, and I, sh- I should say the regional food bank in the region. Right, we cover ten counties, and we distribute about twenty million pounds of food a year. And that food is going to um, partners, food pantries, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, um, group homes, senior centers. The list goes on and on and on. And essentially. Um, Food Link has a CEO, we have a chief operating officer who handles all the things that happen kind of internally, how do we make sure that we run, how, how do we make sure the trains run on time, if you will. And then we have me, the chief program officer, who ensures that um, our relationships with our partners and our, and our external affairs are in order. So I work with a network of partners, I've created additional programs like our curbside market, which is something that's become very popular in the Rochester community, Um, and that's what I do at Foodlink, and it's very much in line with what I just described in my dissertation. It's about trying to make sure that everybody, regardless of what they look like, how much money they have, who they are, everyone has the opportunity to eat a a healthy diet that allows them to live a healthy life. Um, Food really is the fuel that we all need, and we have far too many people in this community and beyond who don't have enough for no other reason than the zip code they live in.
0: So my question is, how did you, how did you get your start at Foodlink? You mentioned earlier some of your motivations for returning to Rochester. I'd love if you could talk a bit, a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a story I, I really do love to tell. Um, when I was as a 21-year-old kid, I just got back from maybe 22. I just got back from traveling um, for well over a year. I uh, ran out of money. I came back and did what no 21-year-old wants to do. I moved into my father's basement. And I started looking for a job. And um, the only criteria that I had was that I really wanted the job to be something that made me uh, feel good about myself. I've always kind of had a social justice mindset. And I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was working in the nonprofit sector, doing something that was giving back to the community. And I wound up getting a job teaching Head Start for a place called Action for a Better Community in Rochester. Head Start, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically it's free Uh, pre-K and kindergarten for anyone under the poverty line. It's a a federal program started by LBJ in 1964. Great program. I I worked it for the better part of a year. And I'll tell you, I learned right away. And this is a very important uh, lesson for anyone listening to this. You will learn what you're not good at. And I learned very clearly that I was not good at early childhood education. I'm good with kids. I love kids. But um, teaching 17 four-year-olds was not my thing, and it requires the patience of a saint, and I don't have that. So I knew it wasn't gonna be for me long-term, but even, even more pressing, I knew there were problems with the program that I really wanted to address, and one of them was food waste. Every single day at, this, uh, at school, we were provided food to feed 17 kids breakfast, lunch, and snack. 17 kids, kids never showed up. And again, remember, it's a federal program, so these are rigid guidelines. So every single day I'm throwing away food. And I, I remember thinking to myself after dumping milk every single day, I had just, I literally had just within six months gotten back from Zimbabwe, which at the time, this is 2008 at the time, had the highest recorded inflation rate in human history. And I remember waiting in bread lines there. I remember waiting, milk wasn't a thing anyone could get. And here I was on the other side of the world, just dumping milk. It, it, absolutely drew, drove me crazy. So I, I did a little bit of research. I called Food Link, which is what everyone told me to do. I had no idea who Food Link was or what it did. And Tom Ferraro, who is the, the founder of Food Link and my, turned out to be my personal mentor. He's, he's been passed, for, passed away about six years ago now. Tom took the meeting with me because that's the kind of guy he was. He took a chance on young people. He was willing to have the conversations. And by the end of the conversation, he told me to come work for him. He could see that I was passionate about it. He could see that I really cared uh, quite deeply about the issue. And he didn't even have a job for me. He just told me you should just come work for me, figure it out. And I said, Tom, I'm going to finish the school year. Cause that's my commitment to Head Start, And then I'm going to come work for you. And that's what I did. And I have zero regrets. Um, you know, one of the things I think this is really important again, for, for folks who are listening to this podcast is that in the world of food banking, no one's ever gone to school to study, to be a food banker, right? It's not a thing that happens the food bank, the food bank is a, we have a hundred employees at food link and we're people who come from all sorts of different backgrounds, educational and otherwise, no one trained to do it. It's people who are drawn by stories like mine, but also by uh, a purpose and an ethos to be, to do something that that gives back. And I just want to reinforce to people that those jobs do exist out there. And I, I really, I'm sorry to go on a tangent here. I really do feel bad for some of the folks um, who are graduating right now because we're about to, we're about to enter a really significant um, recession. We all know it. Um, let's not beat around the bush. But I'll tell you something that Tom always told me. I, and I swear, Tom, Tom said this all the time because I came to him in 2008. Remember, there was a bad recession in 2008. And I mentioned before, we have a CEO and a, and a chief operating officer. They also came in 2008. And what Tom said was, when recession hits, when the economy is bad, That is when places like food can get real talent. And when the economy is booming and people can go get jobs wherever they want, a lot of the great talent isn't coming to the nonprofit sector. So I don't know if that's true or false. I think this year will really be the year we see that. But I'll tell you right now, folks should really keep an open mind. Go to the thing that drives you. What makes you wake up in the morning and say, I want to solve this problem. I want to work on this thing. And just do the research to figure out who's doing that work and get to know them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a super relevant and super important point, especially in this time uh, where, as you mentioned, we, we are going to be going into a recession and organizations like yours become even more important. And I, I think one thing that you said that I also want to circle back to is that you said no one goes to school to train to be a worker at a food bank. But one thing you also touched upon earlier was the, the skill set that you built with a humanities education, yep. those those skills. So I, I'd like if you could talk about the way you can kind of relate your work today at Foodlink back to what you learned uh, while studying in undergrad and for your PhD program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I definitely am a little bit uh, different in the sense that I kind of carved out a very niche role for myself. There's very, very few people who have a, a doctorate that focuses on uh, food retail and also works at a food bank. So, you know, take me aside for a second. What I'll tell you again is that the, the, what, a, what a history student does is a history student has to learn how to read and write quickly and effectively. History student has to figure out how to communicate well. I mean, you're, you're, you're taking information and you're regurgitating it out to your professor to prove that you've learned it. Right. I mean, that is what you have to do. And I really do feel like reading, writing, um, being able to analyze problems, being able to communicate. Those are such critical things in the workforce. I I can't tell you how many times I've been at FoodLink now for 12 years on and off. And I have seen so many people come through um, and apply for jobs and not have basic writing skills. And that may, not, that may not seem like the biggest deal in, in, in the nonprofit sector. Not all these folks are you know, doing grant writing or anything like that. But I will tell you, being able to communicate and read and write effectively is useful in every field. I don't care what field you're in, it is useful. And so I would really uh, encourage folks who have a humanities degree or who are receiving one shortly to really cast a wide net. And again, think through what are the things that really interest you? You don't need to kind of have this prescriptive pathway into a career because if you did, no one would ever work at a food bank. And I can assure you that the 100 people that, um, that I work with alongside every day are really thrilled uh, at the job that they end up having, even though they never planned for it.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one thing we talk about in the office a lot is that no career path is going to be linear and i think that it's it's really true what you said about humanities students those literacy skills those kind of synthesis skills and communication skills are really so important and having a broad net casting those uh you know search searching for a job doing that as wide as possible those those skills that skill set is really transferable now i i'd love to talk a bit about uh, a bit more about foodlink so foodlink is part of uh feeding america the nationwide uh network of food banks and last year, um, Food Link was a finalist for an award from Feeding America. Uh, yeah. W- would you like to talk about that?
1: Sure, I mean, Feeding America is a, is a very, it's a huge organization. I'm sure a lot of people have, have been seeing the news lately because it's been such a key part of um, the pandemic response. In fact, um, Parks and Rec, the big kind of uh, re- reunion show they did a couple weeks ago was specifically to benefit Feeding America. So it's got a lot of press. Um, but, but the nice thing about the Feeding America network is that all the food banks are very, um, autonomous within it. So we at Food Thinking have always kind of marched to the beat of our own drum and we were, um, we were nominated for that award, uh, in part because we've done so many creative things that are outside of the world of traditional food banking over the years. So I mentioned the curbside market. This is, um, a mobile farmer's market that we send around town every day. We work a lot with, um, with URMC on that side, in terms of trying to get people to eat a, a nutritious diet, um, it's a great program. It's something that I was able to ultimately engineer because because of my work as a historian, where I had studied all these peddlers and hucksters and pushcart operators over the years. And you think about it, and there's no corollary for that in 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 modern day. U.S. cities. So the curbside market was really an attempt to recreate that, which is again another reason why, uh, you know, having a history degree doesn't necessarily mean you have to be paid to be a historian, but to think through um, lessons learned over the past and try to to develop right the right initiatives. I think our curbside market was a big reason why we were nominated for that award, and that's something that really I attribute to um, a couple things. One, certainly my my history, my uh, academic history. But two, Food Link's uh, incredible flexibility. And I mentioned Tom hired me before he even had a job for me. And even though Tom is gone, that same level of um, entrepreneurial mindset of willing, being willing to take a chance and take a risk on things is what makes our organization special. And um, fortunately, Feeding America uh, noticed that last year. And I think a lot more people are going to continue to notice it as we, as we continue to progress.
0: Yeah, and one thing I want to loop back to that you mentioned early on was making an impact in the community as as something you wanted people to take away from this this episode of Careers Unfiltered. So, with with that in mind, what what would you want to convey to a, a, as you've said, people going into this job market right now, maybe people who are early in their careers who are still looking for something that they they really care about what what advice would you give them? My advice
1: is really to start at the finish line. Um, think through where you want to be and and work backwards from there. Um, and you know, I, I think for a lot of folks that's that's a that's not um, you know a very profound thing to say, but I hope that people take the time to actually do it because the reality is that a lot of people really want to work on Initiative X, Y, or Z. Right? They really want to solve whatever problem it is they want to solve. It's that's the thing they're focused on. Well, put yourself at the finish line and walk back through how you could get there, and what organizations, what individuals, um, who you need to know, what you need to understand, and start to put yourself in those positions. Again, I, I'm going to point back to my own story. Um, I only am where I am now, and. Um, you know, I'm so grateful to be where I am now. I'm only here because ultimately I took the initiative to call food link about a thing, a problem that I wanted to solve. And I proved that I was so interested in solving it that the gentleman in charge of food link gave me a chance to come work for him. And, not everyone's going to trust me. I know that's a very privileged perspective. I, I was in the right place at the right time. And I, I recognize that, but the concept I still think is applicable for everyone. Think about what you want to work on and try to put yourself in the position to do it. I think far too often I see, I see young people and I do work with a lot of young folks. I see young people um, kind of taking what's available to them or being the kind of passive, uh, sometimes the, the passive recipient of, of, of a pathway, the passive participant of a pathway. And my, I guess what I'm trying to say is by, by finding the start of the finish line is make your own path. Figure out the things that you are really interested in and, and get yourself there. And it may not always be with paid labor at the, at the beginning, by the way. Um, sometimes it might just be getting to know people, volunteering on a board, um, volunteering generally, those are things that I think can really lead to some fruitful opportunities for folks. And I really encourage people to have an open mind when thinking about it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a great way of putting it. Start at the finish line. I think that's a, a very succinct way of putting it. But having that conceptualization will help you along your path. So, Mitch, I'd like to thank you for the time you've, you've spent with us today. It's been a really insightful episode as someone heading into the job market right now looking at nonprofit work as a humanities major it's been great to hear all this and 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 you, you've been a great guest so i'd like to thank you for your time
1: thank you bryson please feel free to um to post my uh, email address if anyone wants to reach out
0: for any questions they're more than welcome to for sure sure thing all right listeners okay. thank you once again for a wonderful episode of careers unfiltered see you soon If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on your podcast listening platform choice, subscribe, and share us with your friends. Thank you so much, and see you next time on Careers Unfiltered.